Hi, everyone. Welcome and thank you for tuning into The Animal Files, the podcast where we expose the truth, science, and spirituality of pet care and provide you with the wisdom and tools you need to raise happy and healthy companion animals. My name is Victoria, an animal spirituality facilitator and integrative energy practitioner. And my name is Miranda, an animal health technologist and pet care safety expert. Let's dive in, shall we? Today, we're going to do part two of our nutrition episode, where we're going to take a little bit of a deeper dive into what types of foods are on the market, the pros and the cons of each, and how they can benefit your animal and help them have a quality, thriving, healthy life. Last time, we ended with dry food and wet food, and since that is the most common, we wanted to just I guess briefly go over that. Do you want to do a review of just dry food and wet food? Yeah. The information we gave last time, we just kind of went through it fairly quickly. So where we can, we'll elaborate on that a little bit more. The pros and cons of dry food is that it's generally less expensive than wet food. It's easier to, I think it's easier to produce and so Therefore, the, the costs and the ingredients that are in it, the cost is less than other options. It's also very convenient for storage and cleaning. It doesn't make a big mess. You don't have to make room in your fridge or anything like that. But it does require proper storage, and I'm not sure how much people realize that. We're not going to go into detail on that at this point. We'll do that in a soon-to-come episode. But basically... The proper storage is to prevent the food from going rancid and making sure that it maintains its, its freshness and its healthiness for your pets. You also ideally want to not leave a dry food out for your pet for more than 24 hours. Although cats, as we've mentioned before, can be more discerning, they're more likely to tell by smell and taste that the food has gone off and won't eat it. Dogs, however, are not quite so discerning and they can inhale their food without even realizing that the food is not good anymore. So then you might end up with a sick animal, digestive upset, that type of thing. I think we've mentioned before in an earlier episode that um, neither dogs nor cats need a lot of carbohydrates. So the dogs can get more carbohydrates. Cats don't need it at all, shouldn't have it at all. And dry food has a tendency to be very heavy in carbohydrates. So this would be a con of dry food. Another con of dry food is that it can have a lot more low quality ingredients, such as sugars, fillers, preservatives, meat byproducts, and other unnecessary ingredients. Because not all dry food is made the same. So you want to really pay attention to what the ingredients are in it, what order the ingredients are. If there's things like corn or byproducts or something like that and it's like the first and second ingredient and you don't see things like actual meat or actual vegetable until it's the 10th ingredient that's something to be concerned about because they're not going to be getting very good nutrition from that particular brand and the one thing that i wanted to bring up is when it comes to dry kibble you often get what you pay for so if you buy really inexpensive kibble, the chances of you getting a quality food that is full of real meat is significantly lower. 
they fill that stuff with so many fillers and so many starches that your dog's not getting any nutrition. And the one thing that will happen is if your dog is not getting nutrition or your cat is not getting nutrition, they will overeat. And you will notice if you look at the feeding requirements on a cheaper food than a more expensive food, it's so much to give your cat on a daily basis or give your dog on a daily basis. It just perpetuates obesity and diabetes. They will keep eating food trying to get that nutrition. So the more you invest in the quality kibble, the more nutrition your animal will take from that food. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's a good point. And consider that you might be thinking, well, I don't want to be paying a lot of money for food. It's expensive and that. Then don't get a pet. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry. Sorry. (laughs) Victoria had an outburst. She'll get off her box again. (laughs) But consider this other side of it. That if you're getting a cheap food and they're not getting nutrition, the nutrition that they need, they're going to develop health problems down the line and you're going to end up paying more money to get their diabetes treated or to get other health conditions that could develop from improper nutrition. And that's going to cost you a lot more money and you're going to be paying it in a much larger quantity all at once. Thousands. Yes. So in the long run, it's actually a lot cheaper to spend the money on feeding a good quality food. As Victoria said, cheaper food is pretty much equal to poor nutrition. On the other side of that, though, a high priced food does not guarantee that you are getting good nutrition. So don't just assume that just because it's expensive that it's a good food. You still need to really pay attention to what are the ingredients, what are the um, nutrition breakdowns in it, you know, that type of thing. And we mentioned in the last episode that you need to do your research. Check the reviews for the food. Anything that you can find, anything that you can get your hands on that will help you make a better choice when it comes to feeding your animal is only going to pay off in dividends. So do your research, check the reviews. Don't just say, oh, this costs $20, that costs $10. I'm going to go with the $20 because that doesn't mean you're getting a good product. Mm -hmm. Do your research. That is your responsibility as a pet owner and you need to step up and be accountable to that animal. Mm -hmm. And we mentioned in the last episode that I'll just touch on briefly, there are companies that do feeding trials so that they can monitor and see how how animals do on a certain food. That is something to to look for. And if if a certain brand is not doing that type of thing, that is a bit of a red flag, but that's something you have every right to ask a company about. So now that's kibble, which is, uh, I would say, for the most part, unless your cat or dog only eats that stuff, that should only be a supplementation. You should probably stick to more wet foods. So Miranda, what do you uh, consider are the pros and cons of wet foods? Well, the wet food is often a lot more palatable to both dogs and cats because, well, dry food does tend to be flavored quite a bit with artificial stuff, but wet food usually has more actual meat ingredients in that that has more of a natural smell to it. Plus the texture is usually more appealing as well. 
wet food is definitely better for cats than dry food because we mentioned before that cats do not have molars to be able to break down dry food. So the wet food is a much better, a much healthier option for them in that regard. The other things is that wet foods also have more fiber and more water content than dry food and a lower carbohydrate content. So they'd be getting, because cats don't tend to drink water very much, not as much as dogs do, this provides them with a, a water content. Yeah. And we mentioned in an earlier episode that cats are inefficient drinkers. So the more they can get water from their food sources, the better they will be, the more healthy their kidneys will be. They may drink an awful lot. Let's say you have a cat that's elderly and drinks a lot of water and you think, oh, my cat drinks so much water. That might very well be, but how much water is that cat getting per lap? Dogs are very efficient water drinkers. They actually cup water with their tongue. Cats do not do that. So having more water in your cat's food is going to help them. Don't think that, oh, well, Miranda and Victoria don't know what they're talking about. My cat drinks all the time. Well, okay. Yeah, they may, but they just don't drink as efficiently. And so you need to provide multiple sources of water for them. And coming from their food is more naturally beneficial to the animal's physiology. Mm -hmm. Yes, much more chance of them being able to actually absorb and utilize the water, you know, instead of it just getting sprayed somewhere or something. I know. (laughs) (laughs) So this next point is a recommendation. I know people have left the food out for the wet food out for longer periods and their animals will still eat it. But the recommendation is to not leave wet food out for more than two hours and less than an hour is preferred because it's believed that the food goes off. So the risk of it going off is that you can end up having bacteria start growing in it, which could possibly make your animal sick. It also does tend to be more expensive than dry food. And the other potential risk as well, and this is where you need to read labels and and that type of thing again, is that cans often have BPA and other chemicals in it, which can leach into the wet food. So you need to look at the cans and and see whether it says BPA free or, or anything along those lines. Again, this is where you go with, you know, sometimes you get what you pay for. The more expensive brands are more likely to use BPA-free cans. There are a lot of companies now that are putting foods in pouches and little plastic containers so they don't have to worry about BPA. Of course, plastic can also have leaching chemicals Mm -hmm. as well. But keep in mind, you can't just go to the grocery store and grab a bunch of cans of food and not put any thought into it. It's like going to some random convenience store and just pulling a whole bunch of products off the shelf to feed your kids. Are you going to do that to feed your kids? Probably not. You're probably going to put a little bit more thought into feeding your kids. What Miranda and I are asking you to do is to just consider putting the same thought into the foods you choose for your animals. They matter just as much and they need to be treated kindly, compassionately, and considerately. Mm -hmm. 
And now if those were the only two options you wanted to consider, the the best thing to do would be to have a combination of both the wet and the dry to get the most balanced nutrition. But you do also need to really pay attention to the calorie content of of the foods that you're feeding. Yeah. So now we have other foods. If they decide that they want to choose something other than that, they may be more like myself. I choose freeze-dried raw, but there are lots of other options out there. Actually, I do a mix of everything, but there's a lot of options out there. So we have like freeze-dried and dehydrated foods. Those are really, those can be really good. Again, we're looking at a higher price point. Miranda, tell us a little bit about what you found out about freeze-dried and dehydrated foods. Well, I found out that there are a couple of different versions of it. There are some that are made as a supplement to the food that your pet is already eating and some that are able to be used as their main food. And both of them consist of meat and sometimes fruit and veggies mixed in. Uh, And that will usually depend on whether you're getting for a cat or a dog, but you need to, you need to read the labels. You need to read the package to find out whether it's going to be nutritionally balanced. And ideally it's good to talk to a nutrition professional as well to see whether they feel that the food you're feeding is going to be nutritionally balanced and whether you're going to need to supplement it with anything else. Both can provide a lot of good quality nutrition if they are properly balanced because there are more vitamins and minerals that are retained in the preparation process. Because of the process of dry and wet food, a lot of the vitamins and minerals can be destroyed in the process. Yeah. When you cook food, you get rid of some of the nutrition and animal food gets cooked at very high temperatures in the preparation of the processing plants. So keep that in mind. So you may not realize that both freeze-dried and dehydrated food are both created from a raw food, a raw meat, and neither uses chemicals to remove the moisture from the food. That's the definite positive thing about it, knowing that it's naturally created. But you do, because of that fact, because of their not being cooked at high temperatures and not utilizing chemicals, there is a possibility of possible pathogens that don't get destroyed through the the process of creating it. Your animals should be fine, but always make sure to wash your hands after you handle that food because we humans don't have the same protections. And I think you're about ready to go into that a little bit more. Yeah. So if you have a healthy dog or cat, their immune systems well, their immune systems and their digestive systems are quite efficient with dealing with the, the bacteria that can be associated with raw food because it's been designed to, to handle that in the wild. And their, their systems have not really changed since they've been domesticated. Where it could potentially be a problem is if you already have an animal that is immune compromised or has some other kind of health issue already going on, then they may not have the ability to to deal with any potential pathogens that could exist. Yeah. And I think we, we talked a little bit more about transitioning before. If you have, let's say you have an animal that's been eating kibble and wet food their whole lives, they're 13 years old and you go, oh, there's this new product on the market. Let me try it. I would stay away from that. Your animal has been adapted to the lower quality diets that it's had its whole life. If you 
give them all of a sudden freeze dried or dehydrated or raw food, that's too rich for their system. Just like we humans, animals can adapt to the diets that they're given. But you can still work on trying to transition them by just giving a very small amount over a period of days and see how their system reacts to it. Exactly. Yeah. A definite positive for freeze-dried and dehydrated food is that they are very definitely convenient for travel and emergency situations. So if you are going to be driving to visit family on the holidays or something like that, then you can easily take this food with you without having to worry about the storage because you don't have to keep it cold. You don't have to do anything particular with it. But it's also really good for emergency situations such as disasters. You know, if you have, let's say, an earthquake or something and you have to evacuate your home and you have to stay somewhere else until things get cleared up and that then this gives you an easy way for you to have food for your animal no matter where you go. And check the bag. Sometimes they give you the shelf life. Actually, they should all give you the shelf life. I don't think I've seen it on everything. But you can even add some dehydrated and freeze-dried food for your animal to your own personal food storage. Say if you have like several months of food storage set aside, Freeze-dried and dehydrated fruit will stay shelf-stable a lot longer. So you can add that Mm -hmm. to the food storage and you can make sure that your animal is taken care of as well for any future disaster. Now, for the more specific pros and cons for dehydrated food, the pros are that they do not require the food to be... Well, I don't know if it's really a pro or a con. It's kind of more just... (laughs) <laughs> a general fact that doesn't require the food to be frozen first in order to complete the process of it. And it also doesn't require any rehydration. So you can just feed a dehydrated food directly to your pet, but you do have the option of being of rehydrating it. But the challenge with that is that it will not look, taste and feel the same way as the original version of the food. So It might become unpalatable to your pet, especially cats, because as we mentioned, they're just, they're a lot more discerning. And another potential disadvantage is that if you did decide to rehydrate, it may take minutes, which is not a long time, but it could also take hours to completely rehydrate. So you may have to wait a long time for the complete rehydration process to occur. So this might be a better option for dogs because they're more likely to not turn their nose up at things as much as cats will. But we, we did say that it can be more expensive, but if you do have the ability to get the equipment to do freeze-dried food at home and make your own, the initial investment for the equipment is probably going to be a little on the pricey side. But after that, it shouldn't cost anything more than the food that you are buying to, to make it. So the last point I want to make about the dehydrated foods is that there is the possibility that they can go moldy or have bacteria grow on it if they are not stored properly. So you need to make sure that you store them in a place where no moisture is going to be able to get to it. So don't store it in the fridge. Don't store it in some area of your house where there could potentially be a lot of moisture in the air and make sure that the package that it's in is sealed properly. 
With the freeze-dried food, one of the the benefits of freeze-dried food over the dehydrated food is that it does have a lot more, it is a lot more nutrient dense because the process that the freeze-dried food goes into, it locks in the nutrients a lot more. It also has a lot more moisture removed from the dehydrated foods. Like the dehydrated foods, you still need to pay attention to how you store it so that moisture doesn't get into it. There's less of an issue, I I think, because it already has a lot more moisture removed. You still need to make sure that it's stored properly. And if it's stored properly, then it's going to have quite a long shelf life, which we mentioned should be indicated on the package. Now, there is controversy on some of these different food options. One of the things that users of free-dried food have said, what they've noticed in their own pets, is that they say that it has improved their pet's skin and their, their coat, the condition of the skin in the coat. It has improved their digestion. So you would know that more by how their stools look and whether there might be any vomiting or anything like that that's happening. That would be one way to identify it. And then they also say that they have an increase in their energy levels. But there is no scientific data at this point to back that up. So it's just based on what other people have said who have decided to use this option for feeding their pet. One of the cons is that it can have a higher content of fat in it. And too much fat can lead to or add to digestive issues. This, again, would be something to consider maybe not feeding either the dehydrated or the freeze-dry food as their sole main food, but pairing it together with another food option so that they're not just getting one thing. Victoria, would you like to tell us a bit about the raw food option? Yes, sure. I just want to add... I feed freeze-dried raw to my cats and there may not be scientific data, but I can tell you from my own experience and most of the thoughts about healthy skin, coat, whatever, it's all based on experience. I can tell you with my cats, their coats are amazing. Oh my goodness. And I have special needs animals, animals that people would automatically think are unhealthy and they look healthier than most animals I've seen. (laughs) And I attribute that to the raw food diet. Is raw food the best? I would not say it's the best because as Miranda had mentioned, I believe in a variety. The one thing I've noticed, I'm not necessarily sure about dogs. I'm sure it would pertain to dogs, but variety is the most important thing in a diet. So giving them different textures, different types of sources of meats can actually help their system behave much better. And consider as well that for ourselves, we're not going to eat the same food day in and day out for the rest of our lives. Exactly. I, I would imagine that if we prefer to have variety and we also need variety in order to get the nutrition requirements that we need, uh, it would be likely the same for any other animal species. Uh, yeah, I totally agree. The raw food diet that I feed my my cats, we use Stella and Chewy. Not sponsored, just saying the name because I really like it. Stella and Chewy is a freeze-dried raw. I used to use it with my other cats and I used to hydrate it and make it into a pate. That was fine for my older cats, 
but my little ones, they don't like that too much. So we just feed it dry and make sure they have water everywhere they are. They also get wet food once a day and they also get kibble. Now they're growing, so I don't necessarily have to worry about calories just yet, but it is something that I've noticed that with our with our little ones, they seem to have a more well-rounded healthiness to them, if that's a word. The coats are good. Their eyes are bright. They have feline leukemia virus, and we haven't had any issues. They haven't been ill at all. They've been extremely healthy. They're extremely active. I don't know if you have heard during the recording of this, they have been running back and forth like elephants. So if you hear little things in the back while we're talking, that's them. They have lots of energy. So, <laughs> And the other benefit that I've noticed, and this is another pro that I've noticed. I don't know if this is consistent across the board. This is just my experience is I don't have hairballs. My cats don't, they very rarely throw up. And any of you out there who have cats know that cats are just naturally bulimic. They just they just throw up their food whenever they feel they need to purge. Ours haven't. We've had a couple hairballs here and there, and that's pretty much it. They really, they don't have any type of digestive upset that I've seen, except for that one time when Maisie ate the poinsettia leaf. Yeah, so... The raw food's been really great for us. And I think it's because we also mix that in. It's not their primary food. We've also been able to use the raw food as an enrichment feeding time. So that's also been helpful. Now, I know that some vets have opinions about raw food diets. There are vets out there that don't support it. There are many who are learning about it and are now kind of on the fence and some that say, yeah, go for it. I believe that that is because of the hazard it is to humans, not the hazard it is to animals. Because as we mentioned, when we were talking about dehydrated food, it still may have pathogens. So you may still have salmonella in a raw food diet. It's not going to affect your cat or your dog unless they are have a previous condition or an underlying condition but it will affect you. So anytime you have to handle that, you need to wash your hands. And I think that's where the controversy comes in. And also make sure you wash the counters and that and whatever you use properly as well. Yeah. Yeah. Now also we can adapt as well. If you live in a sterile environment with lots of Purell, this is my opinion, just saying, <laughs> just my opinion. If you use a lot of Purell and you're always like de disinfecting everything, I know we're doing that a lot now because the pandemic, yeah, you're going to be more likely to get sick from salmonella. Sal salmonella. Sorry, that's a tough word to say. Wash your hands after you handle raw food. That is my biggest advice. It's what I do. It's what I expect my husband to do after he feeds the cats. I'm like, go wash your hands. <laughs> that's just what I do. So be cautious and be safe. You know, this food is really, it's high quality. It's high quality. Other things about raw food is it is closest to the diet of their wild ancestors. This is muscle meat, sometimes bone meal. Um, they ground everything up. So you're getting a wide variety of nutrition. Raw food consists of all parts of an animal that an animal would naturally eat in the wild. So it is closest to their wild ancestors and can help if you start them early with a longer, healthier life and their digestive system will have 
little interruptions in my belief. You also, if you're going to transition later in life, you need to do that slowly. You need to pay attention because as I said, digestive systems will adapt. If they are used to one diet and you switch them to another diet, you're going to be causing digestive upset. So you need to be conscious about that. Raw food is not for everybody. It's pricey. Sometimes it can cost $15 a day to feed two cats. Speaking from experience here, it's expensive. It requires a lot of planning, storage, just to help the animal, you know, have that more natural diet. Now, that's the freeze-dried raw. That's what I feed. That's what I actually would recommend for most people, especially if you're just stepping foot into the raw food world, is to stick with the freeze-dried. It's easier. It's more palatable. And it's less pricey than making your own raw food. I just want to (laughs) just briefly touch about this. Making your, you think, okay, well, $15 a day, that's a lot of money for cats. Well, yes, it's a lot of money to feed an animal. If you have it, more power to you. But you can't just decide, oh, well, I'll just make my own. That is not something that you can just randomly decide that you're going to do because you need equipment, you need supplements, you need other things that you have to add to the food to make sure that the raw diet that you feed that you're creating on your own is healthy enough. I have looked into this. I don't know if I'll ever do it. I've looked into finding ways to source meat. I've looked into pricing a grinder. Grinders are really expensive. You need face. That is the best way to make raw food is with a meat grinder. And that means if you have meat grinders, you're going to need the the freezer space for all of the meat you source to create it. You're going to have to plan your, your week. You're going to set aside an entire day to completely prepare it. You've got to make sure they have enough bone meal. You have to make sure they have enough vitamins. You have to make sure they have enough minerals. It is a lot of work. If you want to step into the realm of raw food, do your research, talk to a veterinary nutritionist, talk to your vet, make the appropriate, take the appropriate steps to get all of the data you need before you make the official decision that you are going to choose to feed your animal raw food diet. There are a lot of pros, but it's extremely complicated and there can be a lot of cons if it's not done properly. Mm-hmm. that's the raw food diet. Doesn't mean you can't make your food for your animal with non-raw food. Miranda, do you want to talk about non-raw food homemade diets? And we can kind of mm-hmm. talk about, I I personally have not ever cooked for my animals, except for like maybe a, a little bit of a broth or maybe some plain chicken, but most of my cats would never eat it. So I'm not mm-hmm. going to invest the time. I don't know if you know any stories that you can share with us about creating food at home. Well, unfortunately, I don't have any personal experience myself with it or know anybody who has chosen that option. But I think it is definitely a very viable option. Yeah, I agree. Um, It's It's certainly safer than raw food. However, as we mentioned earlier, that when you cook food, you start losing some of the the nutrients from it. 
So it can be a challenge when you're making food at home to make sure that it is going to contain all the nutrients that your animal is going to need. And especially if you were to try to give it to puppies or kittens, because they have a much more specialized nutrition needs than the adult dogs and cats. It is possible, but you really want to work with a nutrition professional to have them guide you on what you need to put in the food and how you need to process it. I would imagine that it would also involve not just the ingredients, but also how long you're cooking it and the method of cooking. You wouldn't want to fry it because frying usually involves oil of some sort. Maybe it would require boiling or something. You, you would need to talk to uh, an expert to find out what the, the, the best method is for for cooking the food. And we just want to let you know that cooking, when we say homemade food, we're not talking about you giving your dog or your cat the food that you're making for yourself. Good point. No animal should have sauces, spices, pepper, salt, any of that stuff. It has to be super plain, Mm -hmm. super basic, as close as you can to their natural diet with being a little bit cooked. You don't want to overcook your food. You don't want to undercook your food. Well, undercooking is probably not as bad as overcooking your food Mm -hmm. because of the raw aspect. But we're not talking about making food and feeding your animal the same food that you would eat for dinner. We're talking about a completely different way of cooking food for the health of your animal. Just wanted to put that out there. Mm -hmm. That's that's a great point. And we are going to be talking in another episode very soon on the risks of different foods, uh, like which foods are safe or not and are not safe for your pet that are eaten by humans. Yeah, we briefly talked about that in the holiday episode. So if you haven't checked that out, check out our jumbo size holiday episode. We did the holiday safety episode and we went over a lot of foods that you should be conscious of around your pets. Mm -hmm. So we're going to go into more depth in the future, but I just wanted to do a plug, shameless plug. Go listen to (laughs) our holiday safety episode. (laughs) There's lots of great information in there. (laughs) One of the things that if you talk to a nutrition expert is that they can provide you with recipes that they have created that are nutritionally balanced. So not only will they be able to offer you guidance on the ingredients, the method and whatnot of preparing the homemade meal, but they'll actually put a recipe together for you so you don't have to to think about it and can feel pretty confident that you're you're giving the best food to your your animals. Just a reminder, use your veterinary nutritionist. If you don't have one, go find one. They will help you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Now, uh, (laughs) a key point though with these recipes is you need to follow it to the letter. Do not alter it and be like, oh, well, I don't have this ingredient, so I'm going to supplement this ingredient instead. Because they are created very specifically to make sure that the nutrition is balanced for your animal. And if you alter something, you are potentially eliminating certain vitamins or minerals that they might need or do need. (laughs) This isn't just go into the kitchen and whip something up fast. Mm -hmm. Not how you cook for your animal. Follow your recipes, work with your veterinary nutritionist or find a trusted source that can guide you. Mm -hmm. Your animal deserves 
to have a healthy diet. And if you're going to take the time to make them food, then you need to take the time to make sure it's appropriate for them on all levels. Mm -hmm. I know there's a lot of people out there who like to provide supplements to their animals because they believe that they are helping their animals to be healthier by doing that. But if you are adding supplements and they don't actually need it, you could actually be doing them more harm. So again, talk to your veterinarian, your, your nutrition professional to find out whether supplements are actually needed and to find out which supplements are the quality supplements. Because again, not all supplements are the same as same as in human, human supplements. You need to be aware of which ones are the quality ones and which ones have like a bunch of fillers or anything like that in it. With any of these food options, especially for the homemade one, but any of these ones, you want to monitor your animal when they're on it. Check their weight, monitor their behavior, monitor their stools, monitor their their skin and coat, monitor their eyes, monitor their energy level. These are all going to be indications to help you determine whether this food is benefiting them or not. If things look like they're getting worse rather than better, then yeah, stop and talk to your nutritionist to find out what's going on and what you can do instead. I think a simple blood test could probably help them figure out what the dog is missing. You need to be very conscientious. You need to be very conscious. You need to be very aware. You need to be very, very much on your game if you're going to be cooking for your animal. Mm -hmm. One of the great options of making homemade food is that it puts you in more control because you are in control over what ingredients you're putting in there. You know, aside from what is recommended by the nutritionist, you still are the one who's going to be buying the ingredients. So you know exactly what is in the food. You know that there's not going to be any preservatives or fillers or chemicals or whatever. You could also choose organic versions as well. So if you want to have, you know, if you're making a a dog food and you want to add some carrots, you can make sure that you give them organic carrots. You can get sustainably raised meats. On all levels, you can have control over what your animal is eating. Because you don't know what people throw in a a bag of food or a box or a can of food. I mean, honestly, we mentioned before that some of the regulations are pretty lax around the world when it comes to animal food. So you don't know 100% what is in that can. You have to go on faith and on your research and on the reviews. But Mm -hmm. when you cook for your own animal, you know exactly what's in that food. Go to local farm and buy meat. Mm-hmm. You can even know every level of what you want to know when you cook your own food. I mean, to me, that is priceless. Mm-hmm. As we kind of touched on, with all these different food options, your pets might enjoy the taste of one option more than the other. Or maybe they might want to have that variety and might like to have the the freeze-dried one time, might like to have the wet food another time. So mixing it up, it's kind of enrichment for them as well as creating more, more enjoyment and less likely having issues of them going off their food. Yes, and do not force your animal to eat a food. If it doesn't want to eat a food, there's a reason. 
Mm-hmm. Now, there may be some finicky animals out there that are just being butts, but the majority of animals stop eating a certain type of food because there's something that's not right. They sense that there's something not right with that food. So never, ever force your animal to eat the food that you prepare. I don't care how much time you took slaving over the stove to feed your animal. If they don't want to eat it, do not force them to eat it. Give them something that you know that they will eat because you never want to starve your animal. They need to have a consistent source of food and you need to trust that the animal knows what it should eat and what it should not eat. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to throw that in there. But that's really important because I've seen people get like really mad at animals because they didn't eat the food. Well, you're going to eat it. Gosh, darn it. You know, it's like, no, if you can give it to them three hours later, they haven't touched their food. You give them something else. Actually, a good way to do it is if, if it is the case of them potentially being finicky and then not just turning their nose up at it because they think something's wrong with it. If it is finickiness, then what you can do is you can put the food down for an hour, see if they will eat it. If they're just, if they're not going to it at all, take the food up, put it away and try again in a couple of hours and keep doing that throughout the day. If by the end of the day, they still have not touched it and are not interested in it at all. That's when you know you need to feed them whatever their regular food was before. So you need to make sure you have on hand their their previous food that they were eating so that they have something to eat. So you don't want to go more than a day without them or not even a full day, but you don't want to go more than 12 hours without them eating something. Yeah, and this is a good opportunity to reiterate the diversity in diet. If I feed my my littles, now this is coming from experience now, if I feed my littles a certain food and they don't want to eat it, but let's say I have to go and work and I can't monitor whatever, they always have a little bit of kibble. I don't leave them a ton of kibble, but they always have something that they can eat when they're hungry. I don't limit. So they get fed the wet food once a day. They get fed the freeze-dried raw once a day and they get kibble. They can choose for themselves. The same thing with the the freeze-dried raw. If there's a freeze-dried raw they don't want that day or a bag that they just seem to not, then we get another bag because there's something wrong with the food. Mm -hmm. If a food is bad, don't force your animal to eat it. Give them another option. As Miranda mentioned, pick it up. Then put it back down and pick it up, put it back down. Never force your animal to eat a food because there's a reason why they're not eating it. Mm-hmm. And especially with cats, if you starve them for too long a period, then they are at risk of developing fatty liver disease. Yes. So to sum up everything that we talked about today, just want to reiterate that all of these different diets have a variation of pros and cons. This is why it's beneficial to kind of have a mixture rather than just having one type only. It's also important to make sure that you are talking to nutritionary experts to get the proper nutritional advice you need so that you can keep your animals as healthy as they can possibly be. You can also talk to other pet parents 
and find out what are the results that they have noticed with the food that they're feeding, just to help you gauge a little bit more if, if that is a particular option that you want to consider for your animal. But also keep in mind, how long has their pet been on it? If it's only been on it for two months and they're saying, oh yeah, it's been great. It's has all the, these benefits that I've noticed in my animal. Well, two months isn't a really long time. They could have good benefits in the beginning, but you also need to find out if they're still having those same benefits a year or two years down the road. So we wanted to give you a good overview. Again, we are like very detail oriented here. We like to give you all the information that we've collected. Hopefully you enjoy that, but we are gonna come to you with other stuff to help you more with nutrition. And we will see you in the next episode. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to rate, review, and recommend the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want some more great info, be sure to check out www.theanimalfilespodcast.com.